Again, I want to thank you. I'm really glad that uh, you chose to participate with us. Our worship celebration uh, today, whether you're online or on site, very glad you're here. Jesus uh, invites everyone. And uh, to quote, uh, to quote a fellow pastor and preacher's kid, a guy named Andy Stanley, never met him, someday I will, I, I'm sure of it, someday, it may not be in this lifetime, but someday I'm going to meet him, and we're going to have a fun conversation. Uh, but I love what he points out, grace is messy. Unfortunately, most of us don't like mess. Mm. We want to make it neat. We want to keep things clean and simple, and, and Jesus just kind of snickers and goes, yeah, but grace is messy. Um, because he invites everyone uh, to his party, and he welcomes everyone who accepts the invitation. Uh, there are no bouncers at the door. Uh, the people following Jesus uh, 2,000 years ago often surprise the proper rule-keeping religious people. And even today, it's the same. People who say yes to Jesus can surprise the proper rule-keeping religious folks. Uh, looking at about four of the unlikely, that's what I'm calling them, unlikely converts from uh, Jesus' life when he walked here on uh, earth. Uh, we're looking at four of them uh, in these, these weeks. We started last week, and we're doing it again today. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 9 through 13. An uh, incident uh, in Jesus' life recorded by Matthew, uh, and it's the record of Matthew's call, an invitation, Jesus' invitation of Matthew to come follow him. As Jesus went on from there, that's how it starts. That's Jesus' life. Jesus was a, a traveling preacher. He went from here to there. In the Bible study we had er, earlier, Jesus went from village to village and town to town. Um, that's what he did. He didn't wait for people to come to him. He went to them. There's a whole sermon in there, folks, but we're just going to leave it. That's just the principle. Jesus, that's Jesus' normal world. Jesus went on from where he was, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. I want to pause for a moment. Matthew is a tax collector. And he received the exact same invitation that Peter, James, John, and Andrew received. Follow me. Hardworking fishermen, loyal Israelites. And the guy who was a traitor. 
question is, why did people back then literally give up everything to follow a wandering preacher? One, yeah, traveling preacher. Make sure you understand which wandering I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the ones asking questions. I'm not talking about the one who's traveling from place to place. Okay, uh, what, what, why would why would Peter, James, and John and Andrew give up their businesses, leave their businesses with their families, and follow this wandering preacher? Why would Matthew just go, oh, okay, I'm done collecting taxes. I'm going to start following Jesus. Why would they give up everything to follow him? Why do people today give up their lifestyles? That look attractive and are popular and accepted and successful in order to maintain a, a relationship with Jesus. And really the only answer uh, is in Jesus himself. There is a magnetism about Jesus in his presence, in his personality. There's something about Jesus that draws people to him. So that when he says, follow me, people are willing to say, whatever it takes, I will follow you. So trouble arrives uh, because Jesus uh, Jesus goes to Matthew's house for dinner. Matthew thinks it's awesome that Jesus has asked him to invite him uh, to follow him. And so he throws a party at his house. And the only friends he has are tax collectors and sinners. And so those are the only people he can invite. And so he invites them. While Jesus is having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, these are the rule-keeping, Bible-thumping, religious folks. When they saw this, they asked his disciples, not, they didn't ask Jesus, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I, I just try to help you get an understanding of the tax collectors, what they meant for. These were people who would, the, the, gover, the Roman government, had, the Romans had taken over the Israel, and they would take bids from people. And uh, the bids would, uh, the, the Roman government would take bids from these people, the tax collectors would bid as to what they would, to be these to, to collect taxes from Rome, and then when they got the the, the 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 job, they would add a surcharge to the taxes that were required from people. So, and they would keep that surcharge. That was you know the service fee. You owe the Caesar one hundred and fifty dollars, but there will be a two hundred dollar service charge. And if you don't pay, this centurion here will be glad to stick you with the spear. And these were fellow Jewish people. 
they were viewed as traitors. I was trying to think of something that we might be able to get kind of an emotional feel. Imagine somebody in Ukraine collecting taxes for Russia right now. And charging a service fee to their fellow citizens from Ukraine. That's the way people felt about tax collectors. They were scum. Would probably sell their grandmother if they thought they could get a really good price. Or sell her for any price they could get, depending on how scummy a tax collector they were. And so the, the uptight, rule-following religious people are asking, why does Jesus hang out with those people? On hearing this, I don't know if they had to yell it, so, you know, it's a party. If, if you've been to a party, no, some of you have never been to a party. <laughs> some of you need to hang out with folks. I think we can work on that. Sometimes, a lot of parties are kind of loud. Maybe they had to yell to the disciples, and Jesus could overhear them because they were yelling, or one of the disciples, you know, told on them. I don't know. Jesus heard about their question, and Jesus responds by saying, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And then he goes on to say, but go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This was a quote from Hosea, one of the Old Testament Jewish prophets who was trying to help the Jewish people get their act together hundreds of years before. And then he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Why does Jesus hang out with those people? Jesus answers the question by declaring his mission. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Kind of reminds me of a time, another time that Jesus was having dinner with a tax collector, a little guy named Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. <laughs> All right, so I can tell some of you have been to Sunday school and learned this song. Uh, uh, he's the guy that climbed up in a tree so that he could see Jesus, and when Jesus got to the tree, okay, and he said, you know, come down because I have to come to your house to, to eat. And uh, people started muttering when he, <clears throat> excuse me, people muttered when he went to eat with a sinner at Zacchaeus' dinner party, and Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. It also reminds me of something he said to Nicodemus, the religious teacher who came to him in John, it's recorded in John's gospel in the third chapter. Everybody knows John, uh, well, not everybody, but many people have heard John 3.16, but John 3.17 
Jesus says to Nicodemus, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I, I really appreciate Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Jesus' response in the message uh, version. Uh, he says, I'm here to invite outsiders, not to coddle insiders. A devotional writer goes on to say, can you imagine if that was the first line of a pastor's job description? Our pastor is here to invite outsiders, not to coddle insiders. Or, or what if it was the first line of the church's mission statement? Our church exists to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. Kind of reminds me of a of, of a story I read about a pastor whose his name was Fan, uh, is, is Francis Chan and somebody came out after a service and said I didn't really like the worship music this morning and he said well that's okay we weren't singing songs for you anyway ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, or what if, what can you imagine if that was at least the hospitalities committee's charge? We're here to invite the outsiders, not to coddle the insiders. The hospital, what we call the food and fellowship committee, that our job is not to make the insiders comfortable, but to invite the outsiders in and make them comfortable. And he goes on to say, it should be. I added a whole lot of commentary to what he had said. It goes on to say it should be because everything I just described is what happens at the table of Holy Communion. Jesus welcomes us, sinners and scum, then calls us to go and do the same. <clears throat> he says, I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. I, 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 I don't know when it started for sure. I'm pretty sure it started when I was a little boy. It may have started before that. Because I, I know this because I've, been, I've read books that were written when I was young, when I was little, very little. Yes, there was a time when I was little compared to when I am now. I've always been big compared to other people, for those of you who want to know. But for at least 60 years, for over 60 years, church people have loudly picked fights with outsiders and sinners. We, but we don't call them tax collectors, though. See, we know better, because we've read the New Testament. And you don't call people tax collectors anymore. Because Jesus hangs out with tax collectors. No, depending on our point of view... And, and, and see, I'm about to step on all kinds of toes, and if you want my email address, well, Google it. Uh, <laughs> here, here we go. I'm going to step on all kinds of toes. Depending on your point of view, uh, we, we call, uh, today we call tax collectors pro-choice baby killers or pro-life women haters or Democrats or Republicans or homophobes or LG, 
BTQ activist. I told you I was going to step on a lot of toes. Here, what's the result? What is the result? The result is that people who are outside, the people Jesus came to invite, people who are outside the kingdom, feel like following Jesus means pushing people away, pushing outsiders away, and coddling the people who are inside. And they know what church people are against, and they feel like, they think, that we are against them. And we go around all the time going, no, 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 we are not against people. We love sinners, we just hate sin. Somebody recently challenged a whole bunch of people. Go find that in the Bible. For God so loved the world. That he hated sin. Nope, that's not what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. That's John 3.16. Most of you know that by memory. You've already finished it in your minds. And now, remember what John 3.17 was? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, unfortunately, some church people, and not all, but some, and they're often the loudest, and the, the so the, yeah, the, the, yeah, the, just leave it there. Or the, some of the, some people act as doorkeepers, determining who can enter God's kingdom family and who cannot. See, at the beginning, I said Jesus invites everyone to his party, and he welcomes everyone who accepts the invitation, and there are no bouncers at the door. I need to correct that because there are some self-appointed bouncers who will stand at the door and go, I don't want to hear Roxy. You don't smell like somebody belongs in this place. I'll tell you a story from the history of this congregation. It happened a long time ago before most of you, but it happened a long time ago before anybody in this room and anybody who was watching, uh, maybe watching, uh, it happened to one of our dear saints, my wife's dorm mom when she was in college, Blanche Silvernail. She invited a neighbor friend to a, a special service at the Bay City Wesleyan Methodist Church. That's a long time ago when this church met at a building over on Thomas and Jim. And the speaker got up and noticed that Blanche's guest was wearing earrings and proceeded to preach about how horrible it was for women to wear earrings. A self-appointed bouncer at the door deciding that women with earrings can't get in the kingdom. Volunteer. 
But Jesus came to invite outsiders, not to indulge insiders. Oh, by the way, following the service, Blanche's friend said, I guess I'm not welcome here, and never mm -hmm. came back. Now, for everybody who's going, but it, it, everybody, you, you, you got to change. Of course you got to change. But it's going to be hard, far more radical than just going, I'm not going to wear earrings anymore, or I'm not going to do this, or I'm not going to do that. When you Jesus says, follow me, and you start following Jesus, everything changes drastically. Just ask Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Ask Matthew. Yeah, like they gave up their livelihood. They stopped being fishermen to become fishers of men. They stopped being that he stopped being a tax collector to throw parties for tax collectors and sinners so they could meet Jesus. And then he started taking notes so he could write a record of Jesus' life. I spent the rest of his life telling people about the guy who's not a tax collector, who was a traitor to his people. But saw a guy who could become a champion of hope and love joy and peace. See, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. His mission is our mission. He invites everyone and welcomes everyone who accepts the invitation. Jesus said on the night before he died, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Andy Stanley says it this way, imagine a world where unbelievers, people who aren't following Jesus, what we call them outsiders for now, Imagine a world where unbelievers were anxious to hire, vote for, work for, work with, and live next door to Christians because of how well we treated one another and how well we treated them. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read it slow because I want you to think about that. I want you to think about people competing to be your next door neighbor because they found out you're a Christian. I want to live next to them because I know they'll be a great neighbor. Those people love us. Imagine a world where unbelievers are anxious to hire, vote for, work for, work with and live next door to Christians because of how well we treat each other and how well we treat them. Here's the sermon in a sentence. Your mission, should you choose to follow Jesus, is to invite the outsiders, not to indulge the insiders. 
Jesus said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. There are probably uh, at least three steps in moving toward that kind of love because that kind of love, loving like Jesus loves, is not an automatic response for us as people. First, we love others for our own sake because, well, Jesus told us to and we don't want to get on his bad side. You know, it's kind of like I had a boss, when I, one of my first first bosses uh, in, in the hospital at Marion General Hospital in Marion, Indiana. Respiratory therapy, Phil Middleton. Yeah. All the stories I can tell you about this guy. But he had a nephew. He was uh, baby. He and his wife were babysitting uh, his nephew, and his nephew came up and kicked him in the shins, and he told him, "Please stop that. That hurts." And later, the nephew came up and kicked him in the shins again, and he said, "Please stop. That hurts." He kicked him in the shins the third time. He says, "If you love me, you will not kick me in the shins again." Kick him came up and kicked him in the shins a third time. He kicked him back. The kid's bawling his eyes out, rolling on the floor, and he looked at him. That's my boss. You know, he's, if you're not going to stop kicking me because you love me, you're going to stop kicking me because you're scared. Some of us love people because we're scared of Jesus. Not because we love him, but for our own sake, we love him. We love, try to love people simply because we're scared of Jesus might. Willis. Now, I'm not asking anybody to raise their hand and confess to that. I just know I've been, I've been around church people my entire life. I know you are maybe the person next to you. First step in becoming loving people like Jesus is that we recognize the fact that sometimes we love people for our own sake. Second, we need to learn, uh, we learn to love others for their sake. There are people who have needs. And we learn to love them because of their needs. Some people are easy to love. And so we love them. And then third, and this is where, this is, the, this is what it takes. By the grace of God, we learn to love others for God's sake. For Jesus' sake. To love another person for God's sake means that we love them with the very same love that Jesus loved them. It is impossible to love another person for God's sake apart from God. Only the Holy Spirit living in us and working through us can empower us to love people that we've labeled as those people that we think don't deserve to hang out with Jesus. The primary ministry and mission of the Holy Spirit is to inhabit our lives and to end what keeps us from loving others like Jesus. Your mission, should you choose to follow Jesus, is to invite the outsiders and not indulge the insiders. 
So this is the question. Will you join together to fulfill Jesus' mission of inviting others, the outsiders, into his kingdom family? Will you welcome the Holy Spirit's work to transform you so that you can love others as Jesus loves you? Come, Holy Spirit. We need you. We need you, first of all. Well, even before that, we need you to break up the hard, rocky soil souls so that we recognize how resistant we are left to ourselves how resistant we are to really loving others like Jesus and then we need you to plant the desire to love others deep into that soil that you've broken up and, and softened and prepared. And we need you to nurture that seed of desire to water it and protect it and help it to germinate until it comes to life and until loving others as Jesus loves us becomes our single motivation. And we need you to remove every obstacle in our hearts, in our minds, in our, in our habits, in our attitudes, in our we need you to take away all those obstacles that keep us from loving others in all our words and actions. We need you to just bring us up short every single time we start to think or say something that is less than like Jesus' love. Oh, come Holy Spirit. We welcome you. We need you to help us to show the world Jesus' love. Come and do what only you can do. You can soft, soften the hardest hearts. You can soften our hearts. You could do the impossible. We welcome you and your work in us to make us loving, patient, kind, respectful, gentle, 
make us like Jesus. Again, I want to say thank you for uh, connecting with us online and on site. Now, we've talked a lot uh, over the last few months about being <laughs> champions of hope, and, and uh, some of you may have been wondering, what on earth does that mean? How, does it, how can you do that? I'm glad you asked. Uh, this is not original with me. I swiped this from somebody's... Uh, uh, Facebook post. Occasionally, uh, there's actually something I want to take from somebody's Facebook post. Uh, and this is one of them. What uh, hope help one person every day? What's it mean to be a champion of hope? Help one person every day. How do you know if you've been a champion of hope at the end of the day? You can ask a simple question. Did I help one person today? Did I help somebody? Well, help them how? How did they need help? Did they just need somebody to listen to them? Did you listen or did you talk? Did they need somebody to pray for them? Did you pray for them? Did they need something else? Did you help them? That's it. Help one person every day. We can infuse people with the hope of Jesus simply by helping one person every day. It's simple, it's measurable, and we can hold ourselves accountable by doing that. Well, Jesus sends us to follow him in giving our lives the world. That's the way he lives. That's the way he calls us to live. Introducing others to the Holy Spirit's powerful love involves weeping and wrestling in prayer and in loving action, just like Jesus does. And so, you are sent to seek and to invite with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit called 